2: All right, this is Jermaine O'Neill, and you're listening to Setting a Pace on Pacetalk.net. And Oladipo
0: wants it again, approaching two minutes to play. With the
2: left hand and authority! McKee gets it in the middle for the win! It's the Four tenths of a second! One of the greatest clutch playoff performers of his generation has apparently.
0: one!
3: what's up pacer nation welcome back to another episode of your favorite pacers podcast setting the pace joining me as he does well not every week but you know as much as possible the one and only the handsome michael j facci facci what's going on brother
1: Nothing much. I want to say I've only missed about one week, but uh, it is every week. But at the same point, hey, when you got a quarantine going on, there's not as much to talk about as uh, there used to be. Man, I miss them Indiana Pacers. I sure do miss
3: those Pacers as well. It was good to see some of the throwback games last week on Fox Sports Indiana.
1: Did you get a chance to watch any of those, Foch? Did not. I watch uh, through League Pass, so I don't get Fox Sports Indiana directly. Uh.
3: That's a bummer. Well, I just have to say, you know, we were talking about recording this episode on Tuesday, but a very special lady in Foch's life had a birthday yesterday. So, Foch,
1: what did you do for the lady? That is true. Babe had her 27th birthday yesterday uh, since I'm working from home, and she is not. I had the whole day to prepare. Broke out the tricks. You know, we're talking about a birthday banner. We're talking about some cake. We're talking about some cannolis for afterwards. Ordered from her favorite restaurant, had a couple gifts wrapped. You know, I had some balloons, some candles, just everything you can think of for her to come home to. So she was pretty shocked. And then Saturday, uh, we're going to have a small gathering outside. It's going to be about 85 degrees. So we're going to have a couple friends that we meet up with. Nothing uh, violating social distancing, maybe six of us. And uh, overall, decent little birthday for what, uh, given the situation. Hey, it looks like you did a pretty good job, Foch. So
3: with that being said, we're going to talk today about a couple things. And first and foremost, we're going to talk about Mark Jackson's comments saying that there should be a statue of Reggie Miller. So, Foch, just to start things off here, you know, how desperate are are you to see a Reggie Miller statue
1: out in Banker's Life, out in front of Banker's Life Fieldhouse? I think we should all be desperate because it's it's a sign of absolute respect. I understand they have the mural um, you know, out there, and it's just uh, I'm not sure in specific which building the mural is on of Reggie Miller. It's a great mural. I believe but it's on we're Massachusetts
3: talking... Avenue, if people are wondering. Okay.
1: Well, we're talking about Mr. Loyalty himself. 18 years with one franchise. That is something I don't think we're going to see anymore. And when you look at the guys who have done it, you're looking at – the greats of the game, the, the Tim Duncans, the Dirk Davinskys, the Kobe Bryants. Um, so this franchise in the NBA, I mean, they hadn't really achieved anything before Reggie Miller. And Alex, you put out a tweet a couple weeks ago. I want to say I could be wrong. I think the Pacers made the playoffs, what, 15 out of the 18 years of Reggie Miller playing for the team? That's unbelievable.
3: Yeah. Yeah, it was his first two years they didn't make it. And mm-hmm. then the only other year they missed it was the 1996, I believe, no, 1997 yeah. playoffs. Because mm-hmm. I think it was 96-97 when they traded Mark Jackson away, got Jalen Rose, and it was the last year of Larry Brown. I think 96, Reggie got hurt. They ended up making it as an eight seed because they had made it to back-to-back conference finals the two years before that. So yeah, three years out of the eight seed. Now, there has been a little bit of pushback of people saying, well, why have we not been talking about a statue earlier? And I'll be honest with you, I never even thought about it. So
1: is is that shame on me? It's not because I mean I to be honest, I didn't really think about it that much. And the Pacers are just, you know, they're kind of strange like that. Reggie Miller is the only NBA jersey they've retired. The rest of the ABA greats, I mean, they've been very select with who they've been looking to honor and retire and when it comes to the Pacers, Reggie Miller is synonymous with the Pacers. I mean, he's like Mr. Pacer. Yeah. And Alex I had to do it. I grabbed my shovel, and I went digging for some stats. And look at what I found. Reggie Miller is ninth all-time in offensive win shares. He's ahead of Kobe Bryant, Shaq, Kevin Durant. The eight names that are ahead of him are absolute legends like Kareem, MJ, LeBron. I mean, this guy put on for the Pacers. And let's be honest, at many times – he didn't have anyone, anyone you'd really consider a star next to him. Obviously, there were some good players. Jermaine O'Neal you know, comes to mind right away, obviously, for me. But Reggie was so old then. Exactly. That's the thing. Jermaine came along. I want to say Reggie was in year 13 at that point. He was already on like the last quarter of his career. Um, and it just feels like Reggie Miller could have easily gone somewhere else, chased a ring, and maybe people would talk about him differently. But, the The loyalty that he showed to the pacers, I think a statue is the least they can do,
3: yeah, I mean, I think it's long overdue, and I think it's time that we have an attraction. No, he did not win us an n b a championship, but he's the only you know leader of a team that's ever got us to an n b a champion, and I don't like to celebrate losing, but I do like to celebrate success, and that's why I put a tweet out last week where I said the Pacers have made the playoffs 24 times out of the last 30 seasons. You know, whether we've had great teams or not, we've always had successful teams. And it wasn't a thing to say, oh, yeah, you know, we're the best team without a championship. It wasn't really intended for that. It was just to try to show and try to prove that Indiana is a winning organization that always gives fans something to root for. And you know, sometimes people say, hey, we should tank, that kind of thing. But I think, you know, you look at Reggie Miller, a guy that stayed here for 18 seasons. He could have left, went to Boston. I would have been heartbroken if that were the case. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I think the statue is long overdue. Sure, Peyton Manning won the Colts a couple, uh, a Super Bowl. He won a, a Super Bowl in Denver with your team as well, and he got a mm-hmm. Colts statue. But I, I still think that we need to see a Reggie Miller statue. If not a Reggie Miller statue, at least a Slick Leonard statue, someone who's been part of the organization and literally saved the Pacers when they were going to be, you know, when they ran the telethon.
1: Of course. I mean, you're also talking about there's teams like the Lakers where they have just countless statues. I mean, it seems like they got like five statues over there. And you're telling me Reggie Miller, we can't get one yeah. out there? You know, it's we didn't even bring it up that when Reggie Miller retired, I mean, he was the all-time leader in three-point shooting. He was looked at, at literally at one point, the greatest three-point shooter. I understand, unfortunately, Ray Allen broke it shortly after, and then Steph Curry will. But when Reggie Miller retired, I mean, he was looked at as one of the clutchest, you know, one of the great three-point shooters in the history of the game and was 12th all-time in scoring when he retired. Mm -hmm. He holds Pacer records that I do not think will be broken. I mean, outside of, of, you know, points, you know, you're talking about games played. He's he's got assists for the Pacers. I mean, it's just – it's countless records that I don't think the Pacers are going to have another guy that they can claim for 18 years because – Many franchises never even get one of them.
3: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what the Pacers do, you know, with everything coming up in the next couple of seasons. But, yeah, I mean, the longest tenured Pacer right now is Miles Turner, and he was drafted in 2000, was it 15, I believe? 15 or 16? 2015. Fifteen, okay, yeah. So you know he's been here five years, and that's the longest tenured pacer. You know he's got thirteen more seasons here with uh, the Pacers to just reach Reggie's apex of eighteen seasons, and uh, I'm not sure even if he'll have another well, another thirteen
1: years in the NBA. I mean that's a long ways away. You know what I mean? Yeah, we're talking about uh, the longest tenured at about five years, and uh, people have been calling for him to get traded for two <laughs> or three of them. I mean, you know that's how hard it is in today's game. And look at the two names I was able to dig up with 10 years of more or service in the NBA. Only two guys. Steph Curry and Udonis Haslam. Like, come on. Haslam's been basically a glorified assistant coach for the last, like, four to five years. Yeah. So it's just – it's so rare that it it means so much to that franchise that, come on, give back. Give give him that that statue that he deserves because we all know that Reggie Miller, it's fitting – the statue needs to happen. Absolutely. Well, let's
3: move on into our second segment. So it's not going to be too long of a podcast today. In our next segment here, this is going to be the, you know, the, uh, the entree of the meal. If you'd like to say we're going to put together, you know, go back and forth our perfect starting five with all Pacers NBA players for today's modern style of play. So we did a draft where we had five guys help us out, or three guys help us out to make five total teams and we drafted starting fives and did a snake draft and so forth. But I just wanted to talk with Fachi about like, Hey, if you could take every pacer in in NBA history, who would you uh, assemble for your starting five for a team to win it all in today's era? So Fachi, I'm interested to see how you went about doing this.
1: So this is interesting. So I'm going to go with the five that I actually, well, let's
3: Mm -hmm. go position by position so we don't spoil
1: it. So wherever you want to start, go ahead. Uh, I'm going to I'm gonna go with point guard, and uh, the point guard that I'm going with isn't even a point guard. I'm going with Victor Oladipo because I feel like he's a playmaker, a two-way guard who we know can create for others. That's not his ideal position, but when you're trying to build your best pacer starting five, and was really between him and Mark Jackson, and just taking a look at it, I just feel like Mark Jackson, great ball movement, but was never really a great scorer. Never really a three point shooter. I guess it was you know, it's obviously a different era. So we'd expect that he'd shoot more, but Olu I feel like we know is built for this time being able to play on both sides of the ball.
3: Yeah, that's interesting because you know I'm sitting here thinking, Man, that's really tough because Victor at point guard is something that I've wanted for a while. Uh just to play with the ball in his hands a little bit more, not as a dominant ball handler the point guard, it's it's interesting to me because I feel like if you have uh, I'm not sure who's all on your team, but if you were to like pair him with a Reggie, Jermaine, Paul, that kind of group, you know, to me it feels like would everybody get enough touches? And I, I think about that chemistry a little bit more when I'm assembling these teams. And you know, Victor at the point guard to me with Reggie and Paul seems a, not too problematic. But if you're throwing a Jermaine in there and you're throwing in Danny Grange or something like that, I feel like. You know, a lot of guys are going to want to get touches, and not everybody's going to be able to get them. So that would be my only, you know, defense in saying why I wouldn't pick Oladipo as my point guard. And I, too, debated between the same two guys you were debating with, but I just feel like this generation doesn't really appreciate the greatness of Mark Jackson and what he meant for that piece of franchise. And I really think that he'd be able to adjust to today's NBA. I mean, the dude is fourth all-time in assists, and he's only one behind Steve
1: Nash. So, you know. He was number two when he retired. You know, I mean, this is he was the real deal when it came to being a distributor. So I I really think they need
3: a setup, man, if you're going to, you know, put these wings around him, depending on who we go with here. But for me, I'm going to take Mark Jackson at point guard, not because I think he's better than Oladipo, but I
1: think team chemistry-wise he makes more sense of trying to be that setup guy. I completely agree. That's why I had to at least throw in that I debated Mark Jackson because I have the respect for Mark Jackson. I mean, his numbers aren't going to blow anyone away as I mentioned, but he was rock solid for the Pacers. 8.4 yeah. points, 8.1 assists. I mean, 8 and 8, that's that's winning basketball right there in terms of getting guys involved. So, uh it was just very interesting. Obviously, Oladipo, you know, he's He's the now right now. He's more fresher. And I feel like if you are looking to score more, that's where I was looking to go. Um, but when you mentioned, you know, the, the combination of like an Oladipo Depot and a Reggie and see how they would work together. Well, we're going to find out because I went with Reggie Miller at shooting guard. I had to. When well, we're going to talk about does Reggie deserve a statue or not, I couldn't leave him off my team. You know, you're talking about a guy who for his career averaged over 18 points per game, 47% shooting and nearly 40% from three. But Alex, as we've talked about before, Reggie Miller wasn't even shooting threes as much as he should have been shooting. His career average is 4.7 threes per game. I think that number would be closer to even 10 threes per game, or at least on this team it would. Um, And one thing I found fascinating, his last year in the NBA, age 39, Mm -hmm. he averaged a hair under 15 points per game, playing 32 minutes. I mean, don't you feel like he could have been a role player on a championship team for a few more years, giving you maybe 8 to 12 points, 8 to 10? The fact that he was putting up 15 a game at 39 is not what we saw from Dirk or Vince Carter or anything of the sort. No offense to those legends, but Reggie, it sounds like a crime to say underrated, but I think that that stat is a little underrated.
3: Yeah, it's <laughs> Reggie was so good and he, he even considered going and playing for the Celtics. He talked about it, that he tried to get his body, you know, to get in shock, as he called it, and and worked it out to see if he could make a return and he said he was really close to doing it, but he never felt like his body was fully one hundred percent ready for him to take that step into returning to the NBA. So he decided not to. But, you know, I, I like your thought of putting Reggie at the shooting guard. But one thing that we have to remember, Reggie was 6'8". Reggie Miller could play small forward. And Mm -hmm. so with that being said, I'm going to take Victor Oladipo with my shooting guard position here and change things up a little bit, and I'll go ahead and unveil my small forward. I'm going to go ahead and go with Reggie Miller at small forward. Now, I know it sounds weird to hear that, but in today's NBA, Reggie Miller could play any wing position that he wanted. So that's where I'm going back-to-back. I'm going Victor and Reggie with Mark Jackson.
1: I like it. I like it. I can't argue that one bit. Um, but you know, obviously, we differentiated on in terms of the point guard situation. But we are both intrigued by Oladipo. It kind of feels hard to leave him off that, regardless of what we saw this year. We know he'll get back to form. He's so that's good small, defensively. That's one thing. Exactly. That you can't forget that. That. That's exactly why I had to point out two-way player because I feel like right over there, he's able to kind of make up for some of the you know lack of defense to say. For Reggie Miller, just because Oladipo is just he's such a good on the ball defender. I mean, you're talking about an all defensive first team guy right. right over there. Um, small forward, love him or hate him, I believe he's the most talented pacer to wear a pacer jersey. Paul George. Yeah, no, <laughs> I, I did debate a little bit of our test there. I did. I'll mention that later. But for small forward, I had to go with Paul George. I feel like, you know, like I mentioned before, whether however you feel about him, we know he's talented. Another two-way player that I would have loved to have seen, Paul George and Oladipo play well together. Obviously, Paul George was—you know—he finished third in MVP voting last year. It's really impressive. It still hurts at times, but I could not leave him off this team. I love him as my three. I know he'll complain a little bit if he has to play the four, but it's still a possibility.
3: Well, here's what I'll tell you. I think that Reggie Miller would be the perfect teammate for Paul George. He'd be able to push him. He'd be able to handle the pressure of being the alpha male because while Paul might be the better player, Reggie would still be the one that Pacer fans would say, "Hey, you know, Reggie is our guy." So Paul wouldn't have to worry about that. Would he? Maybe get a little bit of jealous? I I don't really know. I don't really think Paul's a jealous type. I just think Paul is, uh, you know, somebody that wants to win, and he wanted to be in California. So let's just put it that way. And I, I think that pairing him next to Reggie makes a lot of sense with Victor, and that's why I'm gonna put him at my power forward. Not to stick it to him and say, hey, play this. But I think really back when back when Larry Bird asked him, it hadn't fully transitioned into the you know small ball power forward. It was still mm-hmm. the it was still the Anthony Davis's, you know, that type of player. David West was still playing power forward. It was very rare to see a small guy playing power four, But I think now in today's NBA, there's still some guys like Kevin Love and the Pacers with Sabonis and Turner that do do that. But I think Paul could figure it out. I think having Paul at the four would be a lot of fun and, and make your team a lot more dynamic.
1: I completely agree. Um, I mean, in terms of that, I wanted that option for having him to play the, the three or the four. My one big debate was, I might as well bring it up now, was, Putting Ron Artest at the three and Paul George at the four, I really wanted to see just a, a team of just ferocious defenders, uh, three two-way players on the same team. I would love to see that, but I just I, I couldn't go with it. And then with we Ron Artest, uh, my four over here. Alex, I did not come on this show today wearing a Jermaine O'Neal shirt to not pick Jermaine O'Neal as my four on this team. I I know he does not translate as well to current NBA basketball, but I could not leave Jermaine off this team with his near 19 and 10 averages as a pacer and the two and a half blocks per game that he had with the team. I mean, just I love it. He can defend the bigs. I know that he's going to be limited at times, but I just love him to be able to match up against bigs, defend the paint, you know, and be able to do a little pick and pop action. I know I don't want him shooting threes. I don't. I don't think that's going to come with his game, but I couldn't leave Jermaine off this team.
3: Yeah, no. I mean, it's interesting because if you listen to my podcast with Ken Sterling from Sunday, I did claim that the top trade in Pacers history was Dale Davis for Jermaine O'Neal and Joe Klein. And Joe Klein really doesn't need to be mentioned. It's really just Davis for O'Neal, right? Yeah, Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, this is a tough one for me because I feel like with the teams that we've assembled with Victor, with Reggie, and with Paul, you're going to have a lot of guys wanting the basketball. And I feel like Jermaine's one of those guys who you know can go get you a bucket down low. But at the same time, with all the other guys around him, are there going to be enough touches? Will J.O. be happy? I don't know if J.O. would be happy. Not getting enough touches. That's my only concern, Foch.
1: I hear that, but if he can buy into it, I mean, obviously this is, you know, you're looking for pacer Jermaine O'Neal, not like veteran warrior Jermaine O'Neal. But if he can buy into the team and just defend and rebound, then I think this team's going to be really good because when I went with my center of who I picked, I'm, I need to be able to guard bigs and really clog the paint. And if he could buy into that, I think there's enough scoring on this team in Oladipo, Reggie, and Paul George to be able to kind of lighten the load for Jermaine. But if he's going to be a ball hog, sure, it's going to be tough. But if he buys in, I think this team can win something. All right, so who's your center before I unveil mine? So my center on this team, uh, I I debated. My first debate was Rick Smith's, but in the end, I went with Demontis Sabonis. Hey, we Agreed. Uh, Yep, for Sabonis right over here, I mean, I I didn't want to live in the now too much, but you're talking about a great rebounder and a really good passer as a big man, which I think helps this team when you don't have a true point guard playing. So by age 23, already an all-star, averaging 18.5 and 12.5 rebounds with a five assist. I mean, you're talking about an efficient shooter. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be worried a little bit about the spacing between Jermaine and Sabonis. I'll, I'll be up front about that. Yeah. But I think what Sabonis lacks on the defensive end, Jermaine O'Neal is picking up.
0: Yeah. And
1: I don't I don't think you know, while I don't want Jermaine shooting threes, like I mentioned, I, I don't think that Rick Smiths would be able to make the adjustment as a three point shooter the way that Sabonis can. Yeah. And while we haven't seen it consistently from Sabonis, he showed enough to be like he can develop a three-point shot. His rookie year, he hit about sixty-three. So he hasn't taken anywhere near the same amount. But I want to see Sabonis and Jermaine in action. I think this team's, you know, pretty pretty well balanced. But I'm very curious to see yours. Yeah, so that's what I was saying. We agree on something. So yeah, I, I'm I'm putting Sabonis at
3: my center as well. And I debated between him and Jermaine, and I didn't. You know, I considered Miles because of his ability to shoot a three. But I just think Domas is passing with these guards. I mean, imagine him running pick and rolls with Paul George. We've already seen it with Oladipo. You you already see Doug McDermott, the way he comes off screens. Imagine Reggie Miller coming off a of, off of Sabonis screen or a dribble handoff. I just think that Sabonis would really magnify the offense. Now, defensively, you know, I think that my team might be in a little bit of trouble with only having, you know, two really solid defenders in Vic and Paul. And then, you know, you've got Reggie who's tall enough, lanky enough that he can hold his own. Mark Jackson, eh, he's okay. You know, sub defender, nothing great, but he was a great offensive player. And he was able to knock the three ball. I mean, if you go back and watch the the 98 uh, Eastern Conference Finals against the Bulls on YouTube, it's funny. Doug Collins keeps saying, Larry Bird wants Mark Jackson to knock that three down. He wants him to shoot that ball. He knocks like two or three in a row in the first half, and he's like, that's exactly what Larry Bird wants. And I'm like, okay, I mean, Mark Jackson, if he's able to do that in the 90s, I think today's NBA, he would, you know, translate pretty well. So I think overall, our teams are pretty great. We just have one big difference, and I had Mark Jackson at point, and you had Jermaine at power forward, but the other, you know, four players were the same. That's pretty
1: impressive, Foch. It is, because I just think, a one great mind's thinking alike, but uh, at the same point, You know, you also got to – you look at these teams and a couple guys that, you know, if you're leaving Paul George off your team, I think it's because you're still bitter and still hold some hate about what happened because he's got to be on that team. And, you know, when you look at Oladipo, obviously this year was not what we expected from Oladipo. We knew – I mean, we knew it was going to be rough, but that's not the Oladipo of, you know, the year and a half previously where we know that the season he put together was a really – Good season for any pacer that they've ever been. So yeah. I think that, like I mentioned before, I love Sabonis. Like I don't want if you want to say multi dimensional, but the different things that he's bringing compared to any big the Pacers has had, I, it just makes him so diverse. I mean, when I debated between Rick Smiths and Sabonis, obviously the games changed. Sabonis is putting up this year was nearly double. The amount of rebounds that Smiths is pulling down per year. And I thought that that was no offense to Rick Smith, but it, it was true.
3: Yeah, Smiths was good for the, the 80s and 90s, in my opinion. I don't think he would be very successful in the 2010s era of basketball, 2020s era of basketball, because he's so bad. At his lateral defense, I mean, everybody would talk about Sabonis playing defense on the perimeter. Imagine Rick Smiths. I mean, that dude would get crossed over and made fun of. I mean, <laughs> he wouldn't be able to make it in this in this NBA today. And that's not a knock. It's just my my opinion. I mean, Smiths was good for when he was here, but that's the extent of it. So, really, you know, I think the main reason I picked Mark Jackson over going the Jermaine route and, and going a little bit bigger was because I wanted two guys that were adults, so to say, and Reggie Miller and Mark Jackson, two guys that I know know what it takes to be a successful team and have multiple runs and not just, you know, a couple here and there. I mean, these two guys I think could really elevate the play of Paul, Domas, and Victor. So that being said, Foch, we're going to finish it up here with a really cool story about Reggie Miller and Spike Lee. So we'll be right back. If you've already heard part of the story – the man that actually delivered the four black roses to uh, banker's live fieldhouse and said they were from spike lee to reggie miller is going to come on and tell us that story so we'll be right back Alrighty, everybody and joining us right now to talk about that infamous story that we gave you the lead up to in the previous segment is the one and only jason ingram jason what's going on brother
2: hey alex honor to be on your show man appreciate it <laughs>
3: absolutely well this is a great you know, story about Reggie Miller, the Pacers, the Knicks, that whole rivalry that nobody really talks about. It's not really something that fans are aware of, but I think that, you know, it's pretty cool that someone I know personally had a had a really fun story to, to tell about Reggie Miller and Spike Lee and the Pacers, and I just want you to go ahead and just tell it all out, let everybody know what's going on with this story
2: here. Well, sometime back I worked for a 4 shop, and I was a flower delivery guy. And I realized early on, if you had a floral arrangement, it would unlock the secrets of the world. No door was locked. You could get through anything. People never stopped to double-check that the floral delivery was legit. They never asked for ID. They just ushered me in. So any closed door was immediately opened. And I had a delivery one day to what I thought was a high school wrestling match that was happening downtown. Mm -hmm. And... Some guy named Kevin had a flower delivery. So i go down there, and I'm asking security where I'm supposed to go because I'm just wandering around Market Square. It's after hours or before hours, and and they're pointing me in the right direction. I turned the corner, and they're setting up a big ring for a professional wrestling meet. And there, at the time, was the heavyweight champion Bill Goldberg, if you're a fan of professional wrestling and followed it all. So Goldberg, at the time, was the champion. and I'm just looking at him like... Oh my goodness. And it's starting to click like this flower delivery is for an actual professional wrestler. And he's just finishing up an interview and he's looking at me and I guess he can tell I'm somewhat starstruck. And he comes over and he's just super cool guy, takes me all through the facility, through the locker rooms, introduces me to all the wrestlers. And then we're going up to a room. He's like, I'll take you to Kevin. That was the name of the, that was what was who I was delivering the flowers to. So. Going into this room, and security comes out and they're kind of strong arming me, like pushing me back, like, hey, man, you can't go in here. It's press only. Can't you read the signs? And they're kind of being a jerk about it. And Goldberg's already walking in and he turns around and he stops and tells the security guard, he's like, hey, he's like, that guy's with me. And I, you oh, know, wow. the security is backing up with their hands up, like, hey, man, we're sorry we didn't know. And I'm feeling like a million bucks. So <laughs> I walk in and there's all the wrestlers are there. Well, everyone except for Hogan. He unfortunately wasn't there that night. That's who I would have wanted to meet the most. But anyway, like Macho man was there and all these wrestlers and Goldberg and his deep booming voices like, hey, hey, everybody was like, Kevin Nash has a, has a full delivery. And Kevin Nash's wrestling name was either diesel or big sexy. And he went by both. And, so everyone turns, and now I'm looking like the biggest fanboy on earth holding a, a floral bouquet for this big wrestler. <laughs> you know, like 7 feet, 300-plus pounds. So I just back up. I'm like, hey, I just want everyone to know that I'm just delivering the flowers and not for me personally. And <laughs> so Kevin Nash just, like, reaches down, and he gets a big kick out of it. And the wrestlers, man, they were all super cool. Everyone, I think uh, Goldberg even offered. I could. They had a buffet set up back there, like, get a plate, man, sit down, and, I didn't take him up on the offer. but oh, you should have. Oh, man. Looking back, I wish I had him, <laughs> But everyone was super cool. So I get back to the office or back to the shop, and I'm thinking, you know what? I should use this to meet the Pacers. And, of course, Reggie Miller being my favorite player, and at the time, Larry Bird was coach. Chris Mullen was also a player. Antonio Davis, just some of the guys I really admired. So I hatched this plan. I'm going to send Reggie you know, a dozen roses was my first idea. So I'm talking to the shop owner about it, and he's all on board. He's like, yeah, man, see if you can meet So then it hit me. I'm like, I'm going to send four black roses, and maybe this will even motivate Reggie. You know, one, so I wrote this card out. Hey, congratulations upon being swept. I think it was in or maybe the first round. Here's one uh, black rose for each loss. (laughs) I signed it. Spike (laughs) Lee. So I go in, and I'm wandering around Market Square again. I'm telling security, "Hey, I got this phone for Reggie." No one's questioning me. You're just opening these doors, and security guard, who she's having none of it. She was like, she wouldn't let me back there, said I had to leave the flowers. So, I know your previous guests had mentioned uh, an article called "A Thorny" in the Indianapolis Star, and they had mentioned in the article. But I tried a second attempt at delivering the flowers, which never happened. But anyway, on the card I wrote, it had the shop name. So I just left the roses with the security guard. I didn't think much about it. I just headed back to the shop. And I was disappointed to meet some of my sports heroes. And when I get back to the shop, the owner comes busting out of the store. He's like, what did you do, man? (laughs) You know, what are you He's talking WIBC had got the name of the shop, called the number and was asking about He's like, What did you do? I'm like, I you know, well, I don't know what's going on. He's like, I didn't know if you were coming. Back to the shop, or heading straight home. So, gave WIBC a home phone number. <laughs> so, I drive home, and when I get there, my mother's out in the driveway. I'm like, with the cordless phone, I'm like, what is going on? She's like, what did you do? She's like, WIBC is on the phone. I told them you weren't here, and they wanted to hold till you got home. So, they'd been on hold. I don't know, 20 minutes or so. So, I get in, and I get on air, and they're interviewing me live on the air. And they're asking me all these, you know, pointed questions. How did you know Spike Lee? How did you know it was for me? I'm just making stuff up, man. I'm like, I just came over the system. My computer screen said we had a floral delivery from Spike Lee to Reggie Miller, told us what to write, what he wanted us to deliver. And I thought I might score some playoff tickets out of it, but <laughs> it didn't happen. But I never let on to IBC. That was all a hoax. I just kept it going. And I told some other buddies what I was doing. Well, that, I didn't think much about it when i got to work the next day did you see good morning america because they knew they were in on the hoax too and i was like no i didn't see it they're like spike lee got down on his knees and begged reggie to forgive him saying he didn't send the flowers
3: (laughs) 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 oh man you got spike to get on his knees and beg for forgiveness
2: Oh, my claim to fame, bringing the great Spike Lee to his knees.
3: <laughs> so let me ask you this. If you ever were to meet Spike Lee, would you tell him about that story?
2: Absolutely. <laughs>
3: <laughs> do you think he would respect it or do you think he'd be mad at you?
2: <laughs> I don't know. I've often wondered if he would even believe me. I've wondered if people, other people try to take credit for my handiwork, but I think you would get a little chuckle out of it.
3: Well, I think so too. And, and I know this is the truth because a lot of people don't know you obviously that are listening to this podcast, but the ones that do know, you know, that, you know, you like to have a little bit of fun and you like to mess around. And that was kind of your, uh, your stick back and back in high school and your glory days, as they would say is you like to give people a hard time and you love to joke around. Is that, is that 100% correct? <laughs>
2: I cannot deny that.
3: Well, awesome, man. That's a great story. That is a great story. And I'm just curious, you know, uh, when did you quit the floral? uh, When did you quit working for the florist company? And, you know, what were the repercussions of any of that besides just, you know, a little bit of claim to fame? Anything else happened afterward?
2: Nope. There's no blowback on the company. Maybe some free publicity because at the time. I can't remember channels, our local channel six ABC affiliate station. Their, um, their, their, uh, sports guy was pretty popular, but he had a picture. He had the actual, uh, floral bouquet that I had delivered, the four black roses, uh-huh. and they did a zoom. They zoomed in with the camera and you could see my handwriting on the card. And there it was on the news segment that evening. I was like, oh, my. It was just kind of surreal seeing my handwriting on the news segment. <laughs> and if weird. I can just add one more thing, my one of my favorite parts was that after the first game, the halftime, the guest interviews were uh, Coach K and Isaiah Thomas. And they were mm-hmm. talking about, of course, this was a big story. They were talking about the roses being delivered. And I remember Coach K saying, hey, there's already bad blood between the two. Why would you want to add fuel to that fire? And then Reggie Miller, even after he found out it was a hoax, was quoted as saying it still served as motivation. So I was I was proud to help the Pacers in any way I could.
3: <laughs> Absolutely. So that's what it's all about. And we know from the thirty for thirty documentary they did not, you know, mention the black roses or that whole situation. But what they did mention was Mark Jackson would say that he would, you know, cut out clips from newspapers and just show them to reggie to get him all you know amped up and upset about what people (laughs) were saying about him so i think that your your tactic worked jason i think that it really did help fire up reggie miller there's no doubt about it
2: hey you do what you can for your local team
3: (laughs) (laughs) especially the pacers all right man well thanks so much for coming on and telling that story i think a lot of fans are going to get a a kick out of this and uh, we'll definitely have to have you on again sometime and just talk pacers basketball
2: Hey, absolutely, Alex. Thanks for the invite.
3: All right, Fachi. So you hear
1: that story? What are your thoughts on that? Hey, anytime you can uh, light a fire under Reggie Miller, I'm all for it. But hey, I, it's just unfortunate, and then the Knicks won. Still not over that four point play by Larry Johnson. But uh, hey, who doesn't want to meet Reggie Miller?
3: <laughs> right. I mean, I I mean I'm desperate to meet him. I mean I've seen him at like Pacer games when he's at you know doing a TNT game but I've never like talked to him it'd be it'd be fantastic but I have to say this you know it was really funny that he brought up the Kevin Nash part of the story and it's so random but I was on my honeymoon in 2018 in Disney World and guess who was there Fachi I'm
1: going to go with Kevin Nash
3: Yeah Kevin Nash was there <laughs> and I I had a hunch I didn't even realize it at first cuz I think mean, he was sitting down on a roller coaster and then like I'm about to get on, and he's getting off, and some guys like, "Hey, Kevin Nash, can I have an autograph?" And he's like, um, "He's like, I'm with my family. Can you leave me alone, please?" It's <laughs> like, oh, that's yeah. Like-
1: <laughs> I don't blame him, but yeah, I mean, it's it's gotta be uh, somewhat easy to stick out when you're like six ten or you know six nine. So he is a big, big dude. I grew up a massive wrestling fan, so I definitely remember the Kevin Nash Goldberg days that Jason described favorite wrestler of all time fudge uh Shawn michaels without a doubt
3: the heartbreak kid okay what, the heartbreak
1: what... kid then mcfoley those <laughs> two have always been above everybody else for me
3: which version of mcfoley mankind dude love
1: uh I, pro- I probably go with cactus jack but it cactus started jack. out as mankind so i yeah. go cactus jack mankind dude love Mr. (laughs) Sacco Yep, I actually had uh, the privilege of meeting him once I went to his comedy show and I sat first row Had my Cactus Jack cut off shirt on And he immediately walks through I go, we love you Mick And he literally goes, whoa He goes, what did this guy do? A a set of biceps before he came here And literally I was like, okay, my life's made I don't (laughs) even need to hear the show Like that's all I ever wanted Awesome. Well, that
3: is a great story, man. I don't think I've ever really met any wrestlers, if I if I can go back and recall.
1: I don't think I ever have, but I, I joined... I got I, a good amount under the, under the belt. What was that? I got a good amount under the belt. I met, uh, let's see, I met Samoa Joe, I met Roddy Piper, I met Rob Van Dam, I met uh, obviously Mick Foley that we mentioned, and uh, I'm sure there's probably a few other ones uh, back in the day. Yeah, But uh, those are the ones that came to mind for sure.
3: Yeah, that's awesome, man. I uh, I was a big wrestling fan for a while. I kind of joined the party late, unfortunately. I didn't join it till Cena had moved to Raw. That's when I really started watching as a kid. Oh, way too late. The yeah.
1: 90s were electric.
3: But I have done my history. I went and bought all the old DVDs. Raw, 25th anniversary, watched everything. Oh, yeah. So a lot of YouTube clips of The Rock. The dude is freaking hilarious. Um, mm-hmm. I definitely liked Heyman versus Bischoff though. Those were two great general managers, but yeah, I mean, uh, I think, you know, for like the early two thousands, my, my, my go-to guys were John Cena and edge. I really enjoyed edge. I got kind of tired of triple H. He wasn't my favorite, but, uh, yeah, DX oh, was my cool. Oh my God. Yeah. So, I mean,
1: you're also, you probably forgot I was an intern at WWE. Oh, that's you know? right. I do. Remember so, that I now. mean, my, my love for wrestling runs deep. So, you know, I I had about so you're talking to a guy who Triple H made Mick Foley retire back in the day. And uh, when I got that internship at WWE, I mean, I had hated Triple H for a long time. And I was thinking to myself, I'm going to say something, you know, like he he made him retire. I was living it. You know, I was living the wrestling and uh, it took about. I saw Triple H, and about five seconds went by, and I went, "Yeah, there's no way I'm confronting that guy." <laughs> <laughs> no way! That I would
3: never touch that guy. That dude freaks me out. But I have to ask you, who was like one of the wrestlers that most people love that you're not a fan of? Because I know there's some that people just absolutely adore, but I that you hate. I, I have a couple in my mind, but I'm curious to see who you think.
1: Uh, well, off the bat, as I mentioned, I had a long time hatred for Triple H. Um. In terms of like a more newer wrestling like when you were talking about, I don't don't know. I don't know. I don't think anyone really comes to mind that I hate. I personally, I'm a big Chris Jericho guy. Always love Chris Jericho. Yeah.
3: Chris Jericho was great. I thought that he was great on the mic when he came back and even did some like recent stuff. Like you just made the list. That thing was hilarious. He did it with Kevin Owens. That was huge.
1: Yeah, he's was, just uh, continued to reinvent himself and you know, he's like almost 50 years old and still pretty much going strong. He's with AEW now.
3: Yeah, and I thought CM Punk was pretty solid too there for a while. His on, his mic skills were great. Um, I enjoyed the little run they had there before him and WWE couldn't figure out things contract-wise, but mm-hmm. this is going to be a big uh big hot take here, but I hate the Undertaker. <laughs> really? I, I do oh, not just li- feel that he was overrated. I don't think it was that he was overrated. I just hated that his entrance took 20 minutes for him to get down there. You know, That's I really true. liked him actually when he was uh, the American bad A when he came out and was riding the motorcycle around, it was totally different. I like that more. I like when he did imposter King, but I was not a fan of just like the constant like stuff. And then like the streak, like I was so mad that they ended up having Brock Lesnar defeat him to break the streak. And yeah. That, that's the other person I absolutely hate is Brock Lesnar. That dude is so uh, annoying. Yeah. He's not good on the mic. He doesn't do anything except bounce around and let Paul Heyman talk for him. I just—it's
1: just, yeah, it's just a, about a hundred suplexes. That's all you're going to get.
3: And, yeah. And, and the thing, the other thing, like, uh, kind of the other way of answering this question with uh, like a different type of question of saying is who's someone that you like that's completely you know underrated and I think. Roman Reigns is somebody that I actually liked from the recent group that everybody hates which made zero sense to me why people hated on him but I thought he was pretty good
1: yeah I, I understand why the hate is the hate is because it felt so forced to every wrestling fan like it, it was known that Vince McMahon was trying to make this guy the guy and it, it was never quite able to live up to like a rock or a stone cold Steve Austin or a Hogan like never or even a John Cena like a type of guy who could be the face of wrestling, and I, I understand why people didn't like Roman Reigns, but the fact that the guy overcame leukemia twice—yeah—he has my respect.
3: Yeah, no, there's no doubt about it. I, I I just liked Roman. I never I never really liked the Shield, but I liked him better than uh, Seth Rollins. Seth Rollins, and I hated Dean Ambrose too. Was not a Dean Ambrose fan at all, and a lot of people like them better. So maybe I'm just a bad uh,
1: judger of No, what no, I, I agree but... with you. So now. A better answer is that I don't like Seth Rollins. I feel like Seth Rollins is like a, a poor man, Shawn Michaels, like he's just not as good, but he thinks he's that good. <laughs> and I, I think that right now I think he's probably one of, you know, the top guys when you know, back then when I was watching in the nineties, early two thousands, he wouldn't have been my guy.
3: Yeah. Well I, you know, I kinda of feel that way about Rey Mysterio too. I was never a Rey, a Rey Mysterio fan. I, I got I just could never believe that a little guy like that could be the big show. Okay? You
1: know what I mean? Like just that's yeah. just trying no, too I, much. I, I hear you on that. It's interesting because Rey Mysterio is actually like the first wrestler that I remembered really liking. Like back in like this is like <laughs> nine this is like ninety seven uh with WCW and uh you know, after a while, I kind of drifted away because he, he didn't really get his, like, shot at the title for what felt like like 10 years, basically. But, uh, you know, yeah, I understand you on that. I mean, he, he in real life, he's about 5'4". You I know? know. He's like 5'5". So that's, yeah, a, that's a small man right there.
3: <laughs> <laughs> very, very small man, and the Big Show could eat him for breakfast, yes. lunch, and dinner in one bite. So, anyway, there's your WWE talk. Make sure you guys follow us on Twitter at pace three. Make sure you follow Mike Focci at underscore FACCI. I'm at Alex Golden NBA, and we will be talking to you guys hopefully here within the next week or not. If not, you'll definitely hear from us throughout this month. So, anyways, we'll talk to you all later.
1: Let's go, Pacers.
0: Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran,
3: Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.
0: This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently.